Hey everyone, this is Jack here, and this is episode 10 of the Off the Beaten Path podcast. Wow, <laughs> so much to say about my last week here in the Amazon rainforest. Um, so uh, right now I'm walking down the street in Iquitos, which is, uh, I, I think I mentioned on the last podcast that I had just arrived here, <clears throat> and yeah, this place is... Uh, a very different city than anywhere I've been yet. I think it's a bit of foreshadowing for my time in India and the rest of Asia. Definitely a more poor city. Uh, tuk-tuks all over the city here, but it's definitely like... You, you wouldn't really know you were in the Amazon just from the city alone. It, uh... You know, I, I was talking to one of my guides yesterday, and he was saying that there's some people that, like, never go into the jungle here, and they just don't realize... Or they're just not jungle people, and they don't they don't realize uh, how how much amazing things there are right outside the city. I think it's got four hundred thousand people here, and yeah, maybe you can hear from all the traffic. Right now, it's the day before Christmas Eve, and uh, full on shopping chaos. Lots of people, crowded markets. Um, <clears throat> so the city's just been okay. But what is really so special and magical about this place is getting outside of the city. So I uh, booked uh, four days, originally, outside of Iquitos, going out with a tour company to stay at a lodge outside of, outside of the city. And I ended up staying a fifth day. I was enjoying it so much. Uh, and so to get down to this lodge, we took, we took a, an hour and a half car ride to another city called Nauta to the south of Iquitos, which is going upriver. So Iquitos is on the Amazon River, and going upriver to, to Nauta, you're actually on one of the two main rivers that feed into the Amazon. So I took a boat from there, from Nauta, uh, about two and a half hours deep into the jungle. Um, and uh, the boats are cool. They're these, uh, these like long canoe-style boats. It's pretty much all that you see for the longer-term transport. Uh, they're these long-style canoes with uh, roofs on top. And, um, yeah, you, uh, you know, we're just cruising out there. They have these really interesting uh, motors that are propellers on the end of a, a sick that's like a meter, you know, three or four feet long, and that gives them nice maneuverability. Um, so, yeah, interesting way of getting around because here's the thing. The, the landscape here in the Amazon is just dominated by rivers. Uh, you know, we, like I said, we left from one of the main giant rivers that feed the Amazon. And this river is the biggest I'd ever seen. And then I went and saw the Amazon and it was twice the size because it's two of these giant rivers that feed it. Um, yeah, it's about as wide as Green Lake in Seattle. Maybe like, I don't know, a kilometer or more wide. Anyway, um, so we uh, took a two and a half hour boat ride out to the lodge, and yeah, it's uh, the lodge itself was off a small tributary river feeding a medium tributary river feeding one of these giant Amazon rivers, and that's pretty much the entire landscape there. It's just all these interconnecting rivers and marshes, and the rivers change substantially over the course of the year during the, the dry season. Uh, the rivers go down. I think the difference between the, the dry season and the wet season, it's something like three meters, four meters of water. It depends on the year. It changes a lot. But 
it's uh, pretty drastic. And right now, it's changing so much every day. I think they said 30 centimeters every day. So you, that's about a foot a day. The water is just rising. And uh, yeah, some years the water's so high that it like floods people's houses in the, the March, whenever the water's at its highest. But anyway, so I'm, in, I'm here in kind of this intermediate period where the water's rising really quickly and a lot of different routes are opening up and a lot of land is getting covered in water. So it lets you take shortcuts through different parts of the jungle. And I had an amazing guide, this guy named Israel, who is uh, an absolute jungle savage, <laughs> as, uh, as uh, my dad mentioned <laughs> whenever I told him about this guy. Um, he is uh, so cool. Been born in the jungle in one of the little villages out there and has, I think, spent 25, 30 years being a tour guide. Um, and it really shows. I mean, he is an absolute expert. I've never heard anyone make animal calls, animal sounds like he can. Really incredible. And knows so much about all the different plants. Um, yeah, when we first got there, I met him and... Uh, we chatted a little bit about what to expect for our time there and then immediately went on a jungle walk where he showed us, you know, it's just one thing after the other. He puts a stick in a hole and shakes it around and he's like, uh, these giant black ants come out. The biggest ants I've ever seen in my life. Uh, maybe, I don't even know how to describe the size, like, just huge. <laughs> like, their heads were the size of my thumbnail. Um, and so... They, uh, they, they were, like, crawling around, like, looking for the vibrations or whatever. And Israel said, if one of these bites you, this thing lasts for, like, 48 hours. And it's very painful. Um, and then, you know, he's like, oh, related to ants. A little later on, he was tapped another tree. He's like, don't touch this tree. This is like a fire ant tree. And I guess there's some symbiotic relationship with these ants and this particular type of tree. And you look at it closely, like he hit it a few times, and ants start pouring out of it, like hundreds of them. He's like, oh, but don't worry. The sting from this only hurts for an hour or two. And so, yeah, not only does he know all the, you know, the little things about um, insects and plants, but he goes that extra extra little bit of detail all along the way, which is really cool. Um, he, I, just to give a rundown of some of the more cool things that I saw in the forest there. Um, at one point, he uh, he he scratched a tree uh, with his machete. He's always carrying his machete with him, and uh, this like reddish liquid came out. It's like the resin of the tree. And he's like, here, taste it. So everyone in the little tour group tasted it. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it really, like, dried out your mouth. Really, like, soaked all the moisture out of your mouth. And it, uh, yeah, he said it was good for diarrhea. Or if you have, like, you know, it, it, like, just helps dry you up. So that was really interesting. And then later on, there was another tree he hit with a machete. And, uh, the few drops of resin came out of that. And he's like, a few drops of this will kill you. It's used for blow darts. So, I mean, like, you really have to know what you're doing in the jungle because some things are useful and beneficial and some things are really dangerous. Um, man, there's so much to say. Saw so many animals while I was there. Uh, I think four different types of monkeys, sloth, um, uh, birds. I uh, saw the giant uh, macaw. Looks like a parrot. 
like a very large parrot, I guess. Saw a toucan, uh, a couple toucans actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, the animals were really just so magical to see. And what was really cool is, you know, a lot of these tours we'd be going in a boat down the river. Uh, just a small little canoe uncovered with one of these motors on a giant stick like I was telling you about. Israel's just guiding us around. We went on various tours looking at different things. Um, and he would just spot something. He'd be like, oh, turn the boat around. And there'd be a sloth hidden in the shade behind some leaves and he somehow spotted it. So his, his perception of things in the jungle is just insane. So cool. Uh... I saw, oh, oh, we went out to a swamp late at night, and right as it got dark, he used the flashlight to see the reflection of the eyes of a caiman, which is like a small alligator, and he just plucked it out of the water and handed it to us. I have a nice picture of me holding one of those guys. Uh, We actually did that twice, because I stayed there for so long. He did that tour for a couple people. I didn't mind repeating that one. Um, There was uh, one jungle walk where we were really into getting food. So we tried these little fruits called Kamu Kamu, which is this uh, little red fruit that looks like a cherry, but is as sour as a lemon. But it has a really, really good flavor and apparently the highest concentration of vitamin C of any fruit in the world. So that was cool. Munched on a few of those, and then we brought like a pound of them back and made uh, uh, like a kind of like a lemonade, like a sweet juice out of them which is really good. actually just had more with lunch. Uh, it seems to be really popular here. Now that I know what Kamu Kamu is, I'm, if they ask me if that's the juice that I want, I'm like, yeah, sure. It's great. Um, yeah, but that hike where we found the Kamu Kamu, we also got... Uh, we chopped down a palm tree and harvested fresh palm heart. And wow, I've had canned palm heart before, but it was nothing like this. So crunchy. It's like... Kind of like celery-ish, but a, a different a different texture. Um, celery has those little like stringy bits, where palm heart is just this wonderful crunchiness, not that much flavor, just a really good texture. Um, and yeah, just a, a slight kind of peppery flavor. It's kind of hard to describe. But he sliced it really thin, and uh, we brought it back and made a salad out of it. So that was really cool. And uh, also on that hike, he, uh, we were going, we were walking, and he found this palm tree with these, like, small coconuts underneath. Uh, they look like coconuts, except maybe the size of a uh, baseball, maybe a little smaller, and more oblong. And so he opens it up with a machete and pulls out a grub worm, uh, about the size of my, width of my pinky finger, but maybe half the length. And it's white, and it's got little ridges on it, and it's squirming around in my hand, and he's like, eat it. You should eat it. And I'm like, what? No, I don't think... That. He's like, come on, do it, do it. He was just, like, pressuring me into it. And I'm like, I'm here. What, what am I going to do? Okay. And I ate it, and I must admit, like, if I could get past the mental aspect of it, it was really good. It tasted like coconut milk. It tasted the, the flavor of the, the coconut. And... Uh, the texture was a bit like sashimi, like a soft meat, which I guess that's what you would expect for something that's raw. And yeah, it was, uh, I even ate a second one. Like he had to talk me, he pressured me into it again. He's like, oh, here's another one. Go for it. I'm like, ah, okay, fine. So yeah, the first time I've ever eaten something living before. 
Oh my god. Crossing... Wow. Crossing the street here, and that guy was going really fast, and almost hit me. But I survived. Um, yeah, so, first time I've eaten something raw and alive. Uh, but I have a feeling it won't be the last on this trip. Stay tuned for whatever comes next in Asia. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, amazing. Oh, I had great mix of weather while I was there. The first two and a half days were, like, sunny and hot, so we could do, go on all the tours and hikes and do whatever we wanted without having to deal with the rain. It was hot, but it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't pouring rain, so we could do whatever we wanted. And then the last two and a half days, it poured rain, uh, hard. But that was kind of fun too. Um, uh, that that night, uh, the first night that it rained, we came back late at night along the big river. We'd gone really, really far that day, maybe an hour and a half by boat, and uh, we came back along the big river as the sun was setting, and I saw all the stars coming out, and saw thunder or lightning in the distance, and then. Maybe an hour or two... No, it was right after we got back. Within minutes of us getting back, the rain started. And pretty much, it was on and off for the next two and a half days while I was there pretty continuously. Um, yeah, we did one jungle excursion where I just left all of my things inside. You know, normally I took my phone for pictures. Left it because I knew the rain was coming. And we went on this uh, excursion where we uh, just hiked through the jungle for like an hour, hour and a half. And had the boat come pick us up. I guess Israel had coordinated. He, he can work his way through this jungle without any navigation and he knows where it is. I, I don't know how he does it. Um, yeah, and we were just soaking wet by the time we came back. Because it's not just, you know, walking through the rain. The rain accumulates on the ground in these big, like, muddy... So there's maybe ten different types of mud. You know, you have your normal mud that you would see in South Carolina or something, and then you have this, like, thick, squishy mud that's very satisfying to walk through. They give you rubber boots, by the way, so I'm not, wasn't doing this, just my tennis shoes or something. And then, then there's, like, the wetter mud where, like, you step in and it's, you kind of sink a little further than you would expect. And then there's the mud that's underneath the standing water. Uh, I never lost the boot, but I got close once or twice, you know, just like out of the movies. It's like, you try and pull your foot up and the mud just sucks in your boot um but yeah we did a lot of these crossings where you know the uh, water is up up to mid calf like almost going over the rubber boots uh i think i only did that one time where i actually got the water inside but at that point it was just you know i was so soaking wet it didn't matter um but i managed to never get it in on any of the dry days so that was good so, uh, yeah, and then I think it was the last day we were there. Uh, it, it had been raining all morning, and it lightened up a little bit, and uh, Israel was like, okay, let's go for one last adventure. And then right as we were, uh, as far away as we were going to get, he was like, oh, no. He, and I was like, what? What's happening? He's like, the rain's coming. I, I don't know how we knew. Again, he just sort of knew. And it was like 30 seconds later, the rain just like poured down. I mean, just the heaviest rain. Then, I, it's not the heaviest rain that I've ever been in, but it was pretty intense. And so we rode in the boat like 45 minutes back, bailing it out <laughs> as we're going because the water's accumulating. 
but they didn't seem worried. They've done this. They've done this tons of times. Just came back soaking, soaking wet to the bone. So uh, yeah, I, I I know I'm forgetting more stories. There's there's so much to tell. Uh, there's a a tarantula we found in the room on the first day that we named Rosita, and it was sort of our friend and colleague for the duration of our stay there. We actually found out it had a little family. We named it Rosizita. And I don't remember what we named the other one. But yeah, her she was on all sorts of adventures, climbing over beer bottles. And like, at night, at night they ran a generator for us. And uh, all the bugs would go towards the light. And Rosita would hang up there and like eat all the bugs, which was pretty fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, tar- tarantulas are really great. Like, I, I even pet her a little bit and, like, gave her a high five. She would, like, put her little front legs in the air. Um, at least that one is safe. My guy did point out another tarantula that was on a tree. Apparently, if you touch that one, you can get really itchy. So, not all tarantulas, but at least that one was really, really great. So, yeah, that was uh, five days in the jungle, and... Man, what a special place. I'd really love to come back in the dry season just to see how different it is. Apparently, the fruits that are ripe are completely different, of course. Uh, you know, the dry season is their winter here, but it's actually their hottest months because of climate. It's just, yeah. So, it, it would still be interesting to see it. And I want to go fishing. Oh, that's another thing I forgot. Like, again, so I did so much in these five days. Went piranha fishing. Uh, which is which is a really simple technique. Um, you, they just take a little bit of nylon fishing line, put it on the end of a stick, connect a hook with a little, maybe an inch or two of steel leading. Oh man, I got to get away from this loud Christmas festivity business. Um, yeah. Uh, so you have this little bit of a steel lead hook on it, and then you put a little bit of red meat on the end. And to attract the piranhas, they uh, slap the meat into the water and then shake the stick violently inside. And at first you don't really get any bites, and then they just come more and more and more of them. They kind of swarm. Uh, so it's really nice to have the fish come to you. And um, the, the trick is... They don't really uh, swallow the hook, at least with the size hook we were using. I think I hooked maybe two of them, but I caught eight in total because I I got this little trick of like flicking flicking my wrist. So you like flick the meat into the water, and then you feel the piranha biting on the meat, and I would just flick the meat diagonally towards the boat. The fish would still be hanging on, re- release midair, and just land in the boat. And, you know, you end up tossing a couple past your head or over the boat or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I think my technique was the most efficient. Some people didn't catch anything, but I figured out the trick, I guess. Or maybe I just got lucky. But uh, I guess having some fishing experience helps. So, yeah, that was really fun, catching those fish. And it inspired me to try and do a fishing trip uh, while I was here. So, um, yeah, after those five days in the jungle came back to Iquitos, had a day or two just to relax here, um, and actually had lunch, dinner, breakfast with a couple of the friends that I met at the lodge as well, um, that were staying here in Iquitos. But I, I really wanted to do a fishing trip, so that's what I've been doing the past two days. And I was really hoping to catch some of these monster, giant fish that exist out here. My dad <laughs> inspired me for this one. 
Um, this such cool fish. Um, the problem is, I don't think many people fish for those. I did a little research and like had a hard time finding something. Like I saw some, you know, seven day tours for a thousand bucks or some crazy stuff like that. But it's not that popular to go for these big fish. And just walking around the market today, I realize it's not really uh, what you see a lot of. So that's my guess anyway. Because so I told I told uh, one of the guys from the lodge that I stayed at. It's like, oh, you know, I think I'm interested in doing a fishing trip. He's like, oh, I know some people that fish. It's like, yeah, we could go catch some big fish. And I talked. He told told me about. You know, I mentioned peacock bass and this other giant fish they called a Zorro fish with these crazy teeth. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I think we can get those. I'll talk to my friend who I've gone fishing with before. Like, get you all the equipment, get you set up, we'll catch some big fish. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. But I, I'm trying to look at it with a silver lining. We, uh, we went with these guys that are clearly out there fishing all the time. So it was nice to be with people who were, like, experts at fishing in the Amazon. But they do a very different type of fishing than, like, the recreational sports fishing. They're, they're fishing to survive. They're, they're getting their daily food to feed their family. And they, their way of doing it is very methodical and really efficient at getting meat in the boat. But it's uh, a lot of fish that are maybe anywhere from 8 inches to 14 inches that size um, at least this time of year they said other times of year you can get bigger fish with the way that they do it but it was uh, yeah I think so if I take a step back um, yeah I met up with this guy who I uh, met from the lodge and it's like gave him some money to do do this tour kind of expecting you know to go out and have like a rod and reel and maybe more of a, a nice setup than piranha fishing but it was actually very similar to the piranha fishing uh, for the equipment we had. We had a canoe um, with a motor with the big stick on it and uh, a, a longer stick <laughs> with more line on it. But you're, you're, re you're pulling the line in by hand. And uh, we, we didn't really troll around different locations or go into the big river at all. We, we stayed in this small river to, do the type of, to mainly do the type of fishing that... These, these two guys are accustomed to, which is setting up these sort of fish traps. So this was cool to see. I could see in like a survival scenario or, you know, looking at, it's a new type of fishing for me. So again, like I'm trying to look on the bright side. It's like, okay, it's not exactly what I expected, but it was still interesting. What they do is they take um, like a nylon string, like a, like a, a sort of thicker rope that you can see pretty easily, not nylon rather. And they'll uh, go through the, the wetlands, like right at the entrance of the jungle. And from there, they'll uh, use the machete to like hack out a path for the canoe and uh, hang, uh, set up spots to hang this cord with two uh, fishing lines with hooks on the end where the hooks are just in the surface of the water. So you have this this cable stretched between two small trees or something like that and then two fishing lines with hooks in the water and they had uh, dug up some night crawlers earlier and cut them into pieces and put them on there and then you just leave leave that uh, those, little, those two little hooks with night crawlers and you go on and you set up another one and another one and another one. I think they set up 50 of these in total uh, all along like hacking their way through the jungle uh, setting it up 
and you I went with him a couple times to set it up at first and then to um, we go we baited everything and then waited in the jungle for like 30 minutes this was right whenever it was getting dark so that was kind of nice and then we go back and you just see tons like okay this one's got a fish on it and it's again like a 10 or 12 inch fish 20 25 centimeters something like that um, and then uh, we would uh, get it, replace the night crawler, and go on to the next one. Okay, this one doesn't have anything. This one's got two fish on it, you know. Uh, it was mostly these type of catfish that are poisonous. They have little poisonous quills, and they would cut those off. I think like 80 to 90% were these, these little catfish-looking things. We also caught some really interesting other fish, a couple eels. Uh, they're, they're related to electric eels, but these ones aren't electric. We caught um, this this really strange fish that has like human-like teeth. Uh, you, I, I need to post a picture of that to show how crazy that is. And then this this armored fish that was like had this like exoskeleton all the way around it. It was really tough and had like spikes on the side. Looked very intimidating. Um, and then there was another type of catfish with this enormous belly. I think it must have just eaten something. But it was I think it was a different breed, too, than the other types of catfish we were catching. So, yeah, um, a lot of different types of fish. And uh, I tried to, you know, why, eventually I stopped going with them to collect all the, the fish. They just kept going. They had it set up on both sides of the river, and they would go and do one and then come back and go and do the other and come back and just more and more fish. I think we caught 40 or 50 of all these kind of smallest fish. Um, eventually I just stayed at the boat and tried to fish with the big stick they had set up. Like, you basically just had one rod. Um, again, no reel on this thing. And, you know, I would take some of the cut, cut bait and try throwing it out. And I think we caught a few fish this way, uh, but they were mostly more of the same of what we were getting in there, just sort of small versions. And I think it's because we were on this small river, sort of suited to their type of fishing that they wanted to do. So, yeah, again, a bit of a bummer that it, you know, I didn't really get a chance to go, you know, search for the big fish that I was hoping for. I think the real trick would be to go out on the big river with some good bait and the right equipment, like a rod and reel, would be really nice. Um, so maybe that's a company idea. If any of you fisher people are, are uh, listening, maybe you could come set up a company down here because there's some cool fish in this river. Um, and I think I'm going to come back one day during the dry season because that's the real time to come do fishing is in June, July, August, whenever the, the waters are all low. It sort of concentrates the fish. Uh, my, my first guy, the guy Israel from the lo- actual lodge, he was telling me that he, uh, he did uh, harpoon fishing with a Japanese fisherman and yeah that sounds crazy this giant 50 kilo fish that comes up to feed and you uh, throw a harpoon at it with balsa wood tied to the end and you let it pull the balsa wood underwater and then the fish will get tired and get pulled up to the surface and yeah sounds like a crazy way of fishing too so yeah I think there's all sorts of fishing adventures one can have down here but um yeah, the, the rest of my time yesterday was actually pretty cool, too. We went back to uh, one of the, the fishermen who, who's, again, fishing this way all the time. We went back to his village, fried up some fish, and then we walked up to the village to grab a beer at a bar. This was pretty late at this point, like 2 a.m., and all the bars were closed because there was a wedding going on. So we ended up staying at this wedding 
reception party until like four in the morning. I danced with a few people and we had some beers and just chatted. So that was a good time. And then woke up early and came back to Iquitos today. So, uh, yeah, wow, it's been, a, it's been a great time in the jungle, you know, even, even though this fishing trip didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for, I, I still have had an amazing time with all, all the things that I've done here, and it uh, makes me really want to come back. This is pretty high up on my list of places that I want to return to. Might give it a few years and then come back in the dry season and uh, try and plan out a big fishing trip. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at now. I'm going to take a nice relaxing day today, and then tomorrow I have a flight to Lima, Peru, where I'll uh, spend a few days there before meeting up with Shiraz and traveling to uh, Cusco with him. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of my time in Peru, but uh, I'm also looking over the horizon a little bit because it's not too long that I'll be taking a flight, a series of flights, rather, to India. So... I've definitely started doing a little bit of planning for that and thinking thinking how I'm going to, uh, where I'm going to go and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm sure I'll have a podcast of my the rest of my time in Peru. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And with that, I'll see you guys in the next one.